you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industries in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and on today's show, I'm honored to have Colonel Retired Chris Valley, who is now, after uh, I guess 10 years in the civilian sector, uh, Vice President for DNV. Welcome to the show, sir. BJ, pleasure to be here. Honored to talk to you today. It's great to have you, and, and uh, I think you and I have connected over this before. Our producer's a Naval Academy grad. Chris is an Air Force Academy grad, and I'm a West Point grad, so there there may be lightning striking somewhere. Uh, but this should be a it should be a fun show. Uh, really, you know, to to get started, I, I want to let everybody know uh, because this this falls into the the world is small, and uh, Chris Valley was retiring from active duty in 2010 as I was leaving active duty. And he, uh, he retired out of Keesler Air Force Base where he got to know my family. So that's how I originally met Chris. And our paths recrossed uh, within the last year and a half, uh, maybe last year, um, as we are working together now on a PSENG uh, utility energy program uh, for the New Jersey Clean Energy um, Project. So, uh, sir, every every show starts. We want to hear about you. Uh, what made you you? How how'd you go from uh, a kid from New Jersey to a uh, Air Force Academy? Take us through your your Air Force career as much as you'd like, and then uh, what your path has been transitioning from the DoD to uh, to the private sector. Be happy to, BJ. Thanks for the. You know, I uh, reflected on this before we got started, uh, and I think uh, you know I was a fairly smart kid in high school, average athlete, uh, but always intellectually curious, you know, as a kid, uh, you know, I was also the oldest of, uh, of three boys. Uh, my father was a utility worker, uh, worked for PSENG, our current client, which is always a story I tell when <laughs> our client. and, uh, to this day at 87 years old, he wants to make sure I do the project well so that uh, his pension is secure. <laughs> I hear that weekly. Uh, but uh, you know, I wanted to I wanted to step out on my own. My, it was that it was really important for my father to have three boys that went through college, but probably didn't have a job that could have supported that. But I, I didn't know it at the time. What I knew was uh, that I wanted to find a way as the firstborn son to get through college uh, on my own and leave leave flexibility for my two younger brothers. Uh, one day, reading the. Uh, a Reader's Digest, you'll remember that magazine that came through with the, the little fallouts, that, that, that the pieces of cardboard that fall out of there. One falls out on the floor while I'm reading. It's got a picture of the Air Force Academy Chapel at night. And if you've ever seen the Air Force Academy Chapel, it's a, it's a, it's a wonder. Uh, but if you've seen it at night, it's, it, it's magical. It's, it's, uh, I have to interject. I went on a recruiting trip to the Air Force Academy, and it was the postcard I sent home to my mom because it is such an unbelievable view. You know, stoked my, caught my interest, caught my eye, uh, filled it out, sent it in. Uh, next thing you know, I'm getting the rejection letter from the Air Force Academy. As a senior, I go, oh, okay, try it off to uh, off to Rutgers or Nor- I had actually applied to Norwich as well. Uh, followed that up with a, a letter that said, uh, 
hey, we'll give you a sh- another shot at going to the Air Force Academy, but you got to go to a prep school first. I was like, do I have to pay money for that? No. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> Off I went to prep school, process all over again, accepted into the Air Force Academy in 1981. Uh, you know, four years, four tough years. I don't tell anybody, anybody on this team, uh, four tough years at a service academy. Uh, very humbling experience. As you know, top five percent of my class in high school. I think I was the bottom five percent. <laughs> <laughs> we we found another commonality. No, uh, you know, t- humility comes at you hard and fast in the military. I tell you that. Um, but you know, graduated as second lieutenant, happiest, proudest, you know, proudest day. Uh, went off the pilot training. Uh, Got my first choice in airplane flying the C-141 Starlifter, predecessor to the great C-17 that's out there flying today, um, and had you know the job of my life. Uh, I, I flew around the world. Uh, I, I like to tell people, you know, before Gulf War started and all these uh, other conflicts in the last uh, 20 years, I probably did more humanitarian support than uh, you know any 150 people in the Peace Corps, and loved every minute of it. Supported USAID, supported embassies around the world, supported a lot of things. Great mission, great people, great airplane. Um, and, and and then I loved airplane, loved flying so much. I tried to fly every career, every mission I had. I tried to fly, you know, um, as if it was you know the highlight of my life. Prepared for it. Otherwise, I never wanted to leave the airplane. Uh, but that's not the way the military works. <laughs> so, found myself around a couple of different uh, uh, staff jobs. Um, Never did a thing to get. Never did a thing to support my career. In fact, I probably made some bad choices. If and, and I was told I was making bad choices. I left the 141. I wanted to go fly a Gulfstream business jet over in Europe. I was told that you know, career military people don't go fly business jets. You don't want to do that. I said, well, I don't, I don't want to be a career military person. I just want to have fun. Went off and flew the Gulfstream. I know we'll get around to it. Deployed with that Gulfstream down to Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Uh, came back from that. Um, Came back to the 141 in McGuire, uh, met the love of my life there. Uh, in fact, couldn't convince her to marry me at the time. So I took a short, a close assignment to close by McGuire Air Force Base down to the Pentagon. And uh, then finally, after a couple of years of just keep asking the same question over and over again, she finally said yes. So persistent. <laughs> I think if there's a theme in my life, it's persistence. <laughs> love it uh you know mary and i got married uh went uh you know around the world uh you know had our baby colleen uh different levels of now 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 despite my own career choices i wound up getting promoted to major uh then on to school then into um the fourth airlift squadron as the operations manager of that squadron was there during uh, 9 11. Uh, you know a whole lot of stories embedded in that uh from that spinned out to a command uh, my command was over in Japan uh, at Yokota Air Base in Japan. Got to fly Lear jets and and helicopters, uh, and 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 mentor and and in command uh, a number of young lieutenants who, as we're sitting here today, are now colonels and you know and some of them even general officers uh, doing great things still in our military. You know, wound up wound up as you said my last career, my last assignment down at Keesler Air Force Base where your dad flew the hurricane hunters and, uh, and, and we, you know, and I was the vice wing commander. So I owned the runway. <laughs> so we had a lot of great dialogues there. Um, retired from active duty in 2010. I looked at my wife who had followed me around for, you know, 12, 13 years at that time and said, Hey, you know, you put up with a lot. Where do you want to, where do you want to settle down? 
uh, and uh, you know, good Philadelphia girl, she wanted to come home. So off we came to home. Uh, with, and here I show up 10 years ago without a plan. <laughs> but it was summer, so I could play golf. So I did uh, uh, while on the golf course and doing a couple of different things. Um, I came across a, couple, a, a gentleman who was doing a startup business. And that was the first time you and I met was when I was in that uh, ESCO Energy Services Company startup. Um, you know, but any startup will tell you that cash flow is never a, a never a secure thing. Um, and, and while I was wondering where the next check was going to come from, I bumped into a company uh, that I'm with now. And uh, now I work with utilities and I oversee uh, energy efficiency and utility incentive programs that help adopt uh, newer technologies to include renewables, solar, wind, electric vehicles, uh, and batteries. And, you know, I, I wake up every day, you know, feeling like you know, God blessed me, uh, in, in so many different ways. Cause I get to, you know, continue to serve, serve the world by helping to bring around the, you know, and enable the energy transition. So I, I think it's interesting that your, your first gig out was with a, an energy related company. And then you ended up with an energy engineering company. Was there anything in your career that, that kind of tickled that other than your, your dad working for the utility? Yeah, absolutely nothing. When uh, I got to talk through the places I lived and the people I was with, uh, you know, after flying airplanes for 10 years, the Air Force uh, decided to, to put me through a, a master's program and get a master's degree in supply chain and logistics, which if you think about it, it's actually fairly brilliant in the case of the Air Force to take uh, front seat aviators on the point of the spear of the logistics and then teach them the, the rest of the logistics system. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, that parlayed that into the job at the Pentagon. That's, that was one of the ways I got down there. Uh, but really nothing about just nothing about utilities, nothing about engineering, uh, just bounce around and different things. Uh, I, I took a job at uh, U.S. Transportation Command as the air as the uh, air team lead in uh, in 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 the uh, A5 in the J5 at the time planning and planning group where we worked end-to-end uh, -end logistics for, uh, for for Afghanistan and Iraq in that period. And then my last assignment was the second in command of a training base. None of that speaks anything to, to electricity or energy. The one tie-in, if you will, that got me hooked on this was during that Keesler assignment. Uh, uh, as you know, anyone knows, uh, Hurricane Katrina came through in 2005, had a major significant impact to Keesler Air Force Base in the, in the Biloxi Peninsula. And when I got down there in 2008, we were in the rebuild phase of that. Part of the rebuild phase included uh, more energy efficient technologies and to include the low energy efficiency design housing. Uh, and I got a, got a taste of, you know, if you put newer technology uses less energy, your operational costs are pretty significantly uh, lowered by that. And so as the vice wing commander looking at the budget, that was more money I could spend on troops than, than <laughs> on energy. Uh, that caught my eye so that when the energy services thing came around uh, after my retirement, I thought, yeah, that, that sounds interesting. Um, I, I think that's important to, to highlight. And, I, and I'd ask you if you were going back, you know, maybe what would you do different or, or having been in the civilian sector now 10 years, 10 plus years, um, what would you say to a transitioning, you know, it, whether transitioning NCO or, or officer in, in preparing themselves for that? Yeah, I, I, I'd say I have a better plan than I did, <laughs> number one. Um, but 
more, you know, the plan is really have a better plan. Start early, right? And and this is something that I've become passionate about. Uh, you know that I work with the Greater Philadelphia Veterans Network here in, uh, you know, here in Philadelphia and, and the South Jersey region. Uh, I was actually uh, on the board there for four years uh, and the, uh, the the board chair for two years. Work with great great Americans, uh, in, you know, in trying to support veteran transitions. I always liked it when the still active duty folks reached into the network and said, you know, hey, can I help? Uh, can I can I just talk to you? And uh, to this day, I will talk to anybody who calls me or finds me on LinkedIn and, and have a conversation about what are your objectives, what are your goals, what are your priorities, where's your passion, what's your purpose, and then how can I connect you to others that align with that passion and purpose? Because that's the pathway to finding a job. I agree, and and you know your persistence, but I think that that self-advocacy starts with just networking and being willing to ask because I, there's not a veteran I talk to that uh, won't make themselves available to somebody that's trying to transition and trying to figure out what's next. Um, and we say it all the time, no obligation. Like there's, we're not trying to pitch you jobs. We're not trying to get you to, to come to work for us or with us. It's, it's really just giving you different perspectives. So anybody listening that's either thinking about transitioning or getting ready to retire, uh, take Chris up on that. I know that he means it. I know that that's how our, our initial conversation started back in 2010. Um, moving moving on to kind of leadership lessons and, and what you've navigated in your career. I, I'm sure you've seen plenty of assignments, plenty of leadership challenges, people challenges. Uh, I, I know every project, uh, startup, staff up, uh, always presents problems. Anything that stands out as as maybe the hardest challenge that you've had to navigate, uh, or leadership lesson you'd like to share? Yeah, uh, God, I, I I have books. Uh, you know, as you as you uh, and I have talked, we're both passionate about you know books and leadership and this. Uh, I you know I think it uh, the best quote I ever have about leadership is is one simple phrase that was said to me by my uh, then boss while I was uh, the executive assistant to the vice commander, U.S. Transportation Command. The vice commander at that time was uh, Vice Admiral Ann Rondeau, uh, three-star Navy admiral, uh, one of the best leaders that I have ever worked for. Uh, you know, she taught me more about leadership than probably any 25 other officers that I've worked with in, in, in my career. Uh, her line was simple and it was leaders matter. Hmm. And, and I try to, I try to bring that into every circumstance that where I'm at and try to be the leader that matters. Uh, and another, another great officer, uh, re retired two-star general, uh, Wayne Schatz said to me while we were at U.S. Transportation Command, don't be afraid to lead from the middle. <laughs> two very important phrases, leaders matter. And it doesn't matter where you are, lead, lead. You know? Yeah. And, and that's the role I try to take uh, in our startup. You and I are working on together in New Jersey. Uh, you know, I, I sit at the top as the exec contract executive for that you know, very large size contract. And, you know, I, I'm still the dumbest guy in the room, just like I was when I was you know, sitting as the vice wing commander at, at Keesler. So people are always coming to me thinking they're going to get answers. And what they always get is five more questions. And then go back and find the answer and come back. And if you really can't find the answer, at least bring me three options to pick from because the universe of options isn't working for me at this time. <laughs> so you think from a leadership perspective is don't be afraid to push back on people to, to make them think because it's real easy. 
for anyone to come to the top of the mountain and just seek guide, you know, to seek, seek answers to their questions. The real leaders that I've seen are the ones that make people think and solve their own problems. And then support and then support those decisions, which I think is a critical next step, right? There's a there's a fine line between empowering people to make a decision and abdicating your own responsibility. Agree. I, I, a thing I always struggle with is, you know, depending on the level, depending on the question, depending on the problem set, is how, you know, in the military, I feel like we we are put in a situation where we're allowed to give people a lot more leeway to fail. Um, and I think that's the only way we learn is to, you know, ensure that people are failing forward, but allow them to fail because that's, that's where we learn lessons and private sector business. Um, it's not always as easy because you've got all the other pressures coming at you. Uh, P L's being, being the primary one from the top. Uh, but I, I talk about it as, you know, people's P L's are people's paychecks week after week. We don't have uncle Sam, uh, supporting the payroll anymore. Uh, any any specific lessons there on on allowing people, giving people enough leeway to uh, to stumble without uh, failing the mission? You know, yeah, that's a great point. I'm gonna uh, be a little controversial here for a second, but you know, uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, one of the skills that I've developed over the many years that I've led so many different people is that some people read books, I read people. And I think if you talk to a lot of senior senior officers or senior uh, senior senior leaders in the industry, um, a lot of them will admit they, they don't have all the answers, right? So what you have to know is you have to know whether the people you're talking to are bringing you uh, well thought out answers or hip pocket solutions, you know, and how you get there. And and when you think someone's worth investing in, sometimes it helps to help them fail faster because what does happen and, and, and BJ, you and I've seen this brought it together. Um, you'll find new leaders will have a very myopic opinion or, or, or a, a high ego that has to be fed, uh, you know, and then you can read them and see that, you know, what you need is to understand the importance of, of working left and right and not so much up and down and, and, and reach out to your peers and understand your own, strengths and weaknesses enough to be able to go find the help that supports your weaknesses. And one of the ways that I can help people to grow is by finding out where their weaknesses are and then pushing them to fail faster. It's a rotten thing to do. And I'll, I'll acknowledge that straight up, but you know what? It, 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 it at the end of the day, that P and L gets very real. And if that fail comes at the expense of a project, that's got you know big money in it, we can't afford that. So yeah. let's, let's help people, emerge out of the shell, the cocoon of leadership that they have and turn into the butterflies that they, that we know they can be when we, when we get to know them a little bit. Yeah, I like that. Um, and, and I really like, and I, I want to re-highlight it is lead from wherever you are. And I think that's what every organization is looking for from people and, and leadership comes in all kinds of flavors, but taking the initiative, solving the problems, um, because the guys at the top aren't always seeing all of the problems that are coming and, and the leaders in the middle need to be uh, predicting those and, and getting ahead of them. So I, it was, who was that Wayne shot? You said shots on S C H A T Z lead from the middle. One of the better, you know, two, two great leadership lines from both from two great leaders that I had the chance to work with and for love that. All right, moving into uh, acceleration, couple rapid fire questions. 
Um, first one's probably not as rapid. Uh, lots of current events, a lot of public policy issues going on. Uh, anything that sticks out, stands out to you or, or that you're actively involved in? I think the thing that I'm actively involved in and really deeply uh, embracing is this, con- this, this workforce development concept. Um, and, you know, uh, in, in a post-George Floyd society, right, and, and the, uh, the people reassessing values and, 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 and then trying to find pathways to create parity across multiple different social dimensions, um, you know, you know that we're involved in New Jersey with the New Jersey Clean Energy Jobs Program, trying to bring uh, new people, especially, uh, you know, oftentimes disadvantaged folks into the clean energy industry. And how do you do that? And it's a, it is an area I, it is completely foreign to me. Uh, I, I've been doing it for the past five months. I'm in, intrigued by the opportunities to grow a new, and maybe clean energy is not a new industry, but grow, continue to grow the clean energy industry with new and diverse people uh, and provide those uh, living wage jobs that both help people, help the environment and help grow, uh, a, a, you know, society in general. Um, that, that, that speaks to me greatly. Uh, I am admittedly this, this, opportunity has tested every leadership skill that I have. Uh, I, I'm, I'm always the first one who says I'm the dumbest guy in the room, which, you know, oftentimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm not. Uh, in this case, <laughs> I'm so far out of my league that I can't even speak to it. But I do what I do best, which is jump in with both feet, uh, with all the passion and, and a single purpose, and, and then try to collaborate with those people that are out there and make make a difference. That's, I love, I love, um, we talk about the veterans a lot because veteran transition and, and finding their way, but it's, it, it is the same thing. It's, it's trying to figure out how do we continuously upskill people into new industries that are creating, you know, innovation, new technologies and, and are critical to the, to the support of our existing economy, but the growth of our future economy. Um, you said you read lots of books, most gifted book. Gifted book. Oh, I, I'm drawing a blank. Get, tell, give me a little bit on gifted. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll jump to the next one. Yeah. Dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? Uh, George Washington, founder of our country. Ronald Reagan, one of, I think, a great president. Uh, and Colin Powell. And, you know, the recent passing of, of Colin Powell uh, brought back, you know, some, some sound memories of my time in the Gulf War when I was General Schwarzkopf's pilot. And uh, Colin Powell was the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, had the opportunity to meet the man a couple of times, uh, but then watch his career uh, uh, the rest of the time. And, and then also read his book, My American Journey, which is probably, probably, the, probably the gifted book answer, too. Uh, you know, Colin Powell's My American Journey is just a great read. Great read. My dad gifted me that when I was at West Point, And I remember reading, I think it's his 13 lessons for yeah. leaders. And the one that always, always, I mean, it comes up when I'm up in the middle of the night having 2 a.m. meetings with myself about whatever's going on is everything's always better in the morning. Uh, so 
That, that one hits home. My dad gifted me that. Uh, I think it was it was either right before I went to West Point or right as I got to West Point. So, so you may uh, not know this, but I actually have that. I, I think took the last. That's those thirteen rules are on the last page of the book, Meyerwick in Jersey. I put them into a Word document, and since the day I have read that book, they have been printed out on a bulletin board above me in every office that I've been in. <laughs> in the, the startup, you know, ten years ago, uh, my office in Allentown when I first got hired here. And now my office in, in Chalfont, and I share it as many times as I can. So you, you, the other one that, that, that strikes me, especially when you start talking about uh, transitioning military members um, and where they're going to land, is um, you know the, avoid having your ego so close to your position that when your position falls, your ego goes with it. I think <laughs> I think when you when I hark back and I look at transitioning veterans. Especially I'll take myself as one, right? You know, uh, retiring at the rank of 06 in command of uh, 13,000 troops, you know, and civilians down there in Biloxi, Mississippi. Two weeks later, um, uh, unemployed guy sitting in uh, Chalfont, Pennsylvania, playing golf and, and then looking for a job and trying to figure out the thing and, you know, trying to get over my own ego saying that, well, last week I was in charge of how many hundreds of million dollars and how many hundreds, you know, tens of thousands of people, this, that, and the other. And now you want to give me a job. I think, you know, letting your ego go and, and, and reaching out and start having those questions with other veterans is, you know, is, is a key piece to that. But also in leadership positions, uh, know when you're right versus when you think you're right. And don't don't be afraid to say I'm not right. In fact, I, I start every conversation as if I'm wrong. And if, if the path of the conversation gets me to where I thought I was going to be, then guess what? I was right. A lot of times it gets me someplace else because... I never was as smart as I thought I was in the first place. The Air Force yeah. kept telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think we need to hear more about when you were flying with General Schwarzkopf. So was that that was the the gig that everybody told you not to take? Yeah. So I flying you know heavy heavy airlift airplanes for the military airlift command at the time. <clears throat> I think the next logical career then would path would have been to become an instructor pilot in that airplane. Uh, and moved to sunny Altus, Oklahoma, which is which is farther south than than Fort Sill. <laughs> uh, and that wasn't what this guy wanted to do. Uh, so I had a, a my roommate from pilot training was uh, over flying C nine aircraft over in Ramstein, Germany, and uh, I thought that was a lot more fun than going to Altus, Oklahoma. So I put in uh, in my uh, my, 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 I forget what we called it back then. My desire, you know, dream sheet, dream sheet that I wanted to go fly C9s over at Ramstein Air Base. Um, one dropped down and they gave it to somebody else. And I stormed, I, I, to this day, I remember I stormed into my squadron. I was a captain, brand new captain, stormed into my squadron commander's office and go, What the hell? What the hell's the sense of having a dream sheet if the assignment you want comes down and, and it goes to somebody else who's not even looking for an assignment? And my squadron commander, to his great credit, said, uh, I don't know. I have to look into that. He looked into it. And he said, you know what? We, we, we missed that. The big, we screwed up and he owned it. Uh, and he said, I'll get you the next, the next airplane that comes down to Germany. If that's where you want to go. I was like, great. Next thing you know, flying a C-20 aircraft out of Ramstein air base in Germany. Didn't know what a C-20 was. Didn't, I knew where Ramstein was. Um, didn't know what the mission was. Turns out the mission's DV airlift. Uh, get over to Ramstein in April of 1990. Uh, TV stands for for everybody else. That distinguished visitors, VIP. Thanks. Yeah, 
a very important person, distinguished visitor. Uh, we'd fly congressional delegations uh, for three four-star generals uh, around the uh, European theater was the, was the mission. Uh, and you know, got there in April. And by the first week in September, I was bags packed, uh, heading for two weeks, quote unquote, two weeks down to Riyadh uh, in a mission that was not well described. So now I get down to Riyadh right as Desert Shield is just spinning off. A uh, ton of my old buddies from the 141 community flying big airplanes with lots of troops and supplies. I land in a very pretty looking Gulfstream aircraft in the Riyadh, bump into a couple of old buddies. <laughs> what the heck are you doing here with that thing? <laughs> I said, I'm not really sure. We put the plane to bed when checked into the hotel. Uh, couple days later, I uh, found out our, our mission was that we were going to be direct support to General Schwarzkopf, the commander-in-chief for U.S. Central Command during Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and that we would be assigned to him until such time that he didn't need us anymore. So the two weeks was a was a smokescreen. <laughs> <laughs> we got back uh, in uh, end of April after Desert Storm was all wrapped up, and uh, we got back home to Germany uh, at the end of April and uh, follow the following year wow. but that that opportunity was uh fascinating uh, just to, to see the u.s mobilize into a wartime footing and to be have that vantage point for that effort was mind-altering at a degree and and the takeaways were um you can plan all day but as you as you and i've heard a hundred times no plan survives first contact with the enemy and as soon as that plan falls apart, then the, the, the real leaders and the real thinkers step in and they make things happen. And, and that's what I saw. And I saw some great people making some great decisions. I saw uh, squadrons. I saw uh, battalions uh, you know, working together on the mission in some very less than uh, charitable places to live. Hmm. Um, General Schwarzkopf is actually the inspiration for the next quote. Uh, Stephen Covey talked about how when General Schwarzkopf was asked what he wanted uh, on his tombstone, he wanted to be remembered as a good man who loved his family and served his country. So what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, or what do you want on your tombstone? Yeah, I think I'm familiar with that actually. From anything. Um, you know, pretty simple, right? Uh, you know, loving sons, two great parents, Decent brother. I'm the oldest of two. I'm the oldest of three boys. <laughs> I'll settle for decent. <laughs> Dedicated husband and, and Colleen's dad. That, 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 that's all I need. You know, you get a little bit under there where I serve my country proudly and honorably, and that, that's good too, but uh, that, that, that's all I need. It's awesome. Well, I know you're a Giants fan, but in the words of Andy Reid, the time is yours. You know, so I was anything else you want to uh, leave with our our uh, listeners. <laughs> I was going to tell you, we couldn't quote him. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you know what I'd say, and this brings together a lot of things, you know, my own career, uh, you know, average student at the air force Academy bounced around and did, did the things that I liked to do in the air force and still retired at the rank of 06. Uh, you know, left the air force without a plan. Uh, you know, landed here in, in, in my wife's hometown, close to family. Uh, and now my folks, you know, live over here too. 
which is an issue with my father in football, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, my, you know, any advice I have to anybody is, you know, summed up pretty simple is don't be afraid to fail. I think too often we let this, you know, five pound brain of ours stop us from doing things that could, could make great things happen in the world just because we're afraid to fail. And uh, if there's anything that my career military and civilian has, you know, has shown me is that, you know, persistence and your willingness to just step out and try will get you more than, you know, than, 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 than anything else. That and God's great, that and God's grace, which has always followed my life. Amen to that. Uh, Colonel Chris Valley, we appreciate you being on the show. We will connect everybody with your uh, your LinkedIn profile. That way, anybody can get in, ch in touch with you. Uh, and I do believe PS or the DNV team is still hiring, as is the MCFA team for the PSENG program. So, if anybody's uh, in the New Jersey area or in the greater Philadelphia area uh, and looking to get into the industry and in energy in industry, easy for me to say, <laughs> uh, get in touch with us. And uh, yep, if you enjoy yep, the show, do us a favor, subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also, also greatly appreciate it if you left us a review and shared with other entrepreneurial public servants. Uh, if you want to learn more about MCFA, look for us at www.mcfaglobal.com. Until next time, have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody.